This is the Welcome Dads Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Welcome Dads Podcast. I'm Mark Bagley. I'm Chris Roselli. And I'm Nathan Dwyer. This week, we talk with Chris Powell, co-host of the Bellingham Podcast, about his experience being a stepdad. We reflect on the election by discussing how to talk to kids about politics and elections, and take a detour on our Whatcom Dads Recommend segment and make some recommendations for the dads when we do an on-air whiskey tasting. If you missed episode two, we are Chris's daughters. Guys, episode five. five. Whoa! We're now into like the, it's not a round number. What would you call fives? Like fives and tens and like that's a... It's a monumental number. There we go. And as you both know, we have a special idea for episode 10 if we get there, but don't tell anyone. It's a secret. Do I know what that idea is? No, we're keeping it for you. It's a secret. Oh, I see. Look what I brought. <laughs> no way. You got Twizzlers. Twizzlers. The worst, the worst plasticky manufactured candy ever. I... I can't believe you like that. So I wonder, did you look up whether it was an East Coast, West Coast thing that you kind of mentioned? I did. And I think I was just making excuses for myself, but I'm going to eat one now as we go. <laughs> Enough about Twizzlers. Chris, I gave you some zombie Skittles when I saw you earlier this evening. Yeah. We, were, we were doing a little drop off of podcast related material at a distance with masks on. So I gave Chris some zombie Skittles. We talked about this last week, I think off the mic, but in any event, if you don't know about zombie Skittles, My kids got some of these in their Halloween basket and basically every fourth or fifth Skittle just tastes awful. So I want Chris to go through and start popping these into his mouth. And then when he hits a zombie one, I want to hear his reaction. You'll know. Okay. Yeah. Cause it says right here on the, uh, on the package, most taste delicious, but some taste like rotten zombie. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. I hope hope it's the first one. What flavor is that one? Orange Skittle. Yummy. There's one. What do you think the odds are? There's what? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Oh, you're going to get at least two. We're just going to stop at the first one. Another orange one. Here we go. Mm, Orange, orange Skittle. (laughs) I'm going to a brown one. Wait a minute. Brown. Yeah, they're not. This is not like a. Aren't they normally like purple? I don't know. It's a zombie. Throw it in and go. All right. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Ladies and gentlemen, he just spit that out. <laughs> wow, he got the zombie, Chris. What did it taste like? Um, like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> ugh. Oh. And, the, and the bourbon is not washing it down. It's kind of making it worse. Um. I likened uh, it to a dead animal, like a piece of roadkill. Yeah, it's like it's like some it's like burnt hair meets roadkill. <laughs> anyway, that's a that's a service announcement for all our listeners. Don't try the zombie skittles. Let your kids keep them. Don't steal that one. All right, guys, I've I've listened back to our, some of our shows, and I want to make sure it's clear to the listeners that we are by no means experts in this, and we are by no means putting ourselves out as being better dads. We're simply three guys trying to do our best here, and we're making a bunch of mistakes, and we're getting more and more comfortable sharing those on the air. 
It, it, it is funny, Nathan, you'd say that. Um, my wife was listening to the episodes today and she said, wow, I guess there are no more Bagley family secrets out there. We're just going <laughs> to tell our friends, if you want to know about the Bagley family, just tune into Whatcom Dad's podcast and you'll learn about them all. Yeah, and we want to hear from you listeners. Uh, we want you to disagree with us. I'd love to get an email from, I don't know, Janet in Bellingham, who's going to write in and tell us we're all wrong about family meetings, or who's going to tell us we forgot to mention the Taylor Doc on our bicycle ride recommendations. So yeah. we're just a, a couple of guys doing our best and hoping that we can provide some pearls of wisdom they're not all going to work for you. We all know our kids are different. Uh, it's not a one size fits all sort of thing. In all seriousness, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still trying to <laughs> choke down that skittle. In all seriousness, the other thing too, Nathan, is is as I'm you know looking at you on Zoom here, right? You know, we've got three white males coming from Bellingham, and our perspective is very narrow when the three of us come together compared to really the diverse nature of, uh, of parenting in itself and the people who do it. So um, I think that it's also worth pointing out that that's something that we also recognize too. And to help with that, we are going to be joined by Chris Powell today, who is going to share his experience as a stepdad. Now a word from our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by Robinson and Cole attorneys. Robinson & Cole handles all types of injury cases. This includes auto accidents, work accidents and L&I claims, slip and falls, construction site accidents, and wrongful death claims. Robinson & Cole offers a free consultation and case evaluation. If you or someone you know has suffered a personal injury or has been injured on the job, call Robinson & Cole at 360-671-8112. You can also find more information on their website, robinsonandcole.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N-A-N-D-K-O-L-E.com. Robinson and Cole, Northwest Washington's premier injury law firm. Now, for this week's guest... All right. Well, Mark and Nathan, we have a special guest here today in the fabulous Chris Powell. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here on the Walkman Dads podcast. I've listened to the first few episodes and I'm really uh, happy where things are uh, sounding like they're going. Uh, continued success so far, but we'll see if anyone tunes in after my interview. Well, we're just glad you're here to join us in our shenanigans. That's for sure. You so you bring, you bring a unique perspective, uh, which is why we brought you on, on the show today. Um, in that you are a stepdad yourself, a stepfather, a non-bio dad. I'm sure there's other sorts of different uh, terminologies out there as well. Um, and so we wanted to get your perspective because I'm sure that there's plenty of listeners out there who may not necessarily have the same perspective that Mark and Nathan and I may have. Absolutely. You know, there's so many ways that you can call it. Uh, blended families is a nice way of referring to it, depending yeah. on how uh, that is. And uh, yeah, I've been a stepdad for about 10 years now. Nice. And you're still standing. Uh, at this point, yes, but the day's not over yet. We'll see how things turn out. <laughs> no, I, I, it's all good. We've we've done a lot of work uh, with my family, uh, all of us, and uh, we're in a pretty good space, uh, which is a blessing. That's fantastic. Well, right on. Well, uh, we'll we'll just start off with a couple questions first of all. So, uh, tell us a little about yourself, your daughter, obviously, who you are a stepdad of, and how old she was when you became a part of her life. Sure. Well, uh, I transferred. Uh, 
I, I went to Western Washington University in the early-ish 90s and graduated from Western, and they were wacky enough to hire me back a year later. And so I've been employed by uh, the big old university on the Hill for almost a quarter century now. Uh, so Bellingham is my home, and uh, my wife uh, and I met uh, at the church we go to. And uh, when we met and started dating, uh, she was a single mom of a, a little a little shrimpy uh, who was about maybe five-ish years old. And uh, when things got serious, and we uh, you know realized uh, this is this this means something. Uh, let's let's take things to uh, a family level. And when we said I do, uh, my wife, Wendy, and I became husband and wife and bang, uh, Cynthia, who was seven at the time, became my stepdaughter. And so uh, we had a little bit of an inverted life relationship path. Uh, Our daughter is now 18 years old. And uh, she is a freshman in a university over two time zones away. Uh, kind of in Hurricaneville, if you will, not to name any particular uh, university names, but uh, she is a first-year freshman uh, at a university right now. So we are actually uh, in our 40s decade, Wendy and I, and we are empty nesters. Chris, I'm wondering, who do you think the transition was harder for? You as the new dad or Cynthia having a new male figure in her life? You know, that's a really good question, Mark. I, I I would uh, the selfish side of me. If you're thinking about inside out and all those uh, all those you know joy and anger and disdain and and scare and stuff like that, the selfish one uh, would be me because uh, I was pretty much living by myself since I left home to go to college, and so I've been a bachelor at that time before we said I do for I'm thinking about 17 years. And so I got really used to living life on my own terms to eat a full bag of Doritos Cool Ranch chips uh, in one sitting. Uh, So I love to say it was the toughest on me to now have two gals and and all of their uh, uh, mannerisms around the house. But I got to say, I do believe Cynthia... uh, had the had the toughest time in not that we're in any competition because we're all you know having a, a difficult adjustment becoming a blended family. I think that there was a number of issues in hindsight, which is always twenty twenty. Um, as I was thinking about this and reflecting about this before joining you all on this show, I don't think uh, Cynthia was given an opportunity to perhaps grieve, or uh, you know, because her bio dad was not in the picture, and Wendy magnificently raised her single-handedly with the help of dear friends and, and, you know, family that were around, but she did this all on her own. And for all the single moms or the single dads out there that are doing this solo and do not get a break, uh, tip of the hat. And, uh, you know, uh, I, but I, I don't think we gave Cynthia as much time to process in, uh, when things got serious and then in our engagement period, um, I didn't do a good job of, trying to, I, I wanted to just establish a, a rapport with her. And I think that there, uh, and, and uh, Cynthia's a very unique uh, young lady and uh, I love her to death, but I think she didn't have a lot of time to be able to work through all the things about how things got to this point. Chris, is there a, maybe something as a stepdad trying too hard in your experience? Do you think that that could be a pitfall that maybe a, a a new spouse could come into with uh, children in a blended family? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, of course I have, I'm a person in my DNA wiring. I have unreasonable expectations that I set for myself. 
uh, in life, in work, in friendships, in relationships. Uh, and, and I think as I was approaching back in 2010, uh, becoming a parent for the first time, because I don't have any kids that I brought into the uh, family, in our, into our marriage, um, I had observed many parents. I grew up with parents uh, and I wanted to do my best. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that I learned that was very difficult after we had done a, after Wendy and I had done a whole lot of work on our marriage is that uh, how I was raised is absolutely not appropriate uh, for in, in how Cynthia is to be raised for a stepchild. Um, I'm a completely different person than my uh, stepdaughter, my daughter. Uh, and that was a mistake that I made because I was, I was thinking, Hey, I turned out all right. I'm, I, you know, I, I have avoided going to jail and, uh, creating a national security, uh, instances, uh, how I was raised should be totally appropriate for how my stepchild should be raised. And, uh, if, if anyone's about to become a blended family, you got to check that at the door. I mean, even before the ring goes on your finger, because, um, how, yeah, you just, you need to be able to take a whole lot of time and to develop that relationship and that rapport and that familiarity and that comfortableness with your stepchild, as opposed to bang, assuming that you are uh, a parent with authority. And unfortunately I was raised with fairly authoritative parents. And so I would have just assumed that she would fall in line to my parenting. I, I have a, uh, I have a lot of regret about some of the early years of uh, the decisions I made as a step parent in, in with my best intentions of trying to help be a parent. And I just, you know, blew it on a number of occasions, but mercifully, uh, Cynthia, I think has forgiven me on a couple of occasions and through years of, uh, years of learning about who she is as a, a little person now, not as little a person, I get to know who she is and, a, and parent appropriately. So it sounds like patience is key in trying to develop that bond with the stepchild and also communication with your spouse. So could you talk a little more about what you had to do with your spouse with this whole other new area that you have to integrate into a new relationship and marriage? As a, as a step parent, um, I knew when we were, when Wendy and I were dating that I would never be top priority in her life. Uh, and I was okay with that. Cynthia is her top priority, number one in the in the uh, in the list of uh, you know priorities. But um, I I unfortunately asserted myself because I'm a very assertive individual. Uh, Mr. Roselli knows that fairly well. Uh, here, here. We go back a while. Um, but I a step parent must always take a back seat, literally and figuratively. You know, when you hop into the minivan, the step parent can doesn't always have to sit up front. Uh, sometimes the back seat is important to let the kids sit up front and have that opportunity. Wendy uh, had done a fabulous job of raising Cynthia uh, as a, you know, just with them. And when you throw another parent into the mix, it threw off that dynamic because here's a one-to-one -one, uh, relationship. And now it's two parents on one child. And so as a spouse, I had to temper that once make once becoming aware uh, in the error of my ways and in, in thinking about how this parenting was going to go. Because, oh, by the way, Cynthia isn't used to having two parents, especially one with a different parenting style that she's been used to for six, seven years. And so that took a, a, a lot of hard work and a lot of heavy lifting on our parts, Wendy's and my part, to get to a place where um, she is the lead parent in a number of occasions. 
if there's technology decisions, since I'm a career technologist, I can kind of take the lead on, on some of that. But as far as the life parenting uh, decisions, the, uh, the consequences in a lot of ways, in the earlier years, when you would take the lead on a lot of those, when there was the yeses to activities and other things like that, I got to be the yes person. I think we found that that was a great way to be able to work towards a co-parenting uh, solution because uh, the mistake I made was I was trying to, I had positional authority as step parent, but I didn't have the relational authority. And that was something that was lacking that I've regretted ever since we said I do. And I've worked hard to try to build in that relation uh, tank with Cynthia by just being there for many things and always, you know, being available as best as I could for that. But Wendy and I, you know, we work things out. She's an amazing communicator. Uh, she definitely was able to let me know when uh, I blew it and <laughs> in private uh, as well, you know, and we uh, have worked very hard to get to a place where we aren't afraid uh, to share what we are disappointed with in the, in each other. Uh, you know, not, not hiding our feelings or cramming them or, or uh, you know, suppressing those. It, it, it took a lot of courage for both of us to be able to say, and be genuine and vulnerable together. So Chris, uh, were there any particular parenting resources you leaned on both as you became sort of an Insta parent with a seven-year-old and any that specifically related to being a step parent? Sure. Uh, so uh, my wife works at a church here in, in town and uh, we actually co-led a video study with uh, a number of other blended families. It was called the Smart Step Family. And so there's an author named Ron Deal, like dealing cards. Ron Deal uh, has a book called The Smart Step Family. And there's a little bit of a video series in which, uh, you know, we, it, the book is really eye-opening. And one of the main things that, uh, there's so many, it, it's just so dense with so much information for blended families. I highly recommend it. Uh, but you know, some families are brought together in a blender where they are all, all of their, uh, all of their personalities and backgrounds are in this mix in a high energy, high flying type of atmosphere. Uh, some of them are in a, a food processor where they just get blended and hit frappe with a whole lot of tension and a whole lot of other stuff. The success for a smart step family, as Ron Deal put it, is uh, a crock pot. Because with low heat, such as, you know, just family life tension as things occur, those carrots start to get a little softer with time and low heat. And those potatoes, they are not as tough to chew on. They soften up as well. Uh, it's a great book. You know, thoroughly uh, learned a lot from it. Another one was How We Love uh, by Mylon and Kay Yurkovich. And uh, this is a book that, uh, as far as Wendy's and my marriage, the different styles of how it, it, uh, of loving and and being in relationship it, it opened our eyes it's like oh we have some work to do by the way chris we're going to have a link in the show notes for the listeners so that way you can uh check out those books that chris had recommended as well just before we close things off here chris is there like one more tip for potential step parents that you could share uh with our listeners yeah i think uh the more that you can you know, from, from a step-parent standpoint, uh, we all have visions or thoughts in our head or aspirations for that wonderful family uh, picture that everyone, it's all harmonious. It's all, uh, you know, happy and, and, and happy, happy, joy, joy. Uh, and I think 
if, if it's possible, you will get there. It will take time. You'll see that in various instances in life and life moments. It's not going to be completely Brady Bunch where everyone gets along. But I think if you can disengage from that expectation, lower your expectations on what you are wanting to have, you will lessen your chance of being disappointed, which can turn into uh, bitterness, which can turn into resentment for not having these unrealized expectations. Chris, we appreciate you uh, spending the time with us on uh, our podcast, this fledgling podcast, which you were so kind as to mention on your much more established and uh, uh, well-respected and popular podcast. Tell us a little bit about uh, what the Bellingham podcast is all about. Well, we actually talk about thermonuclear fission and some uh, n- nuclear physics. No, actually, we talk. My, my podcast partner AJ Barce and I, uh, we talk about life in Bellingham. We are two technology nerds. Uh, AJ refers to himself as a geek at large. Uh, I don't like the term geek, so I'm a nerd. Uh, and so we talk about tech-related things. We talk about life in Bellingham. Uh, give shout-outs to a whole lot of uh, restaurants, eateries, drankeries. We don't take each other seriously. We have a good time. It's evident. We've, you know, it's, it, we've had a couple, uh, a couple episodes under our belts. Um, I actually have a bit of a solo project. So in my day job, uh, I am a Canvas Learning Management System Administrator for the university. So that online curriculum that teachers and students are uh, doing from a remote learning uh, state, I have a podcast called The Canvas Insider. And so it's me talking about uh, learning management system tips, uh, other technology tips, and public service announcements from a computer tech that might help other people uh, navigate uncertain, uh, frequently changing technology. Well, we'll be sure to uh, link both of Chris's podcasts in our show notes. And uh, thanks for sharing your experiences as a stepdad. I think our audience is going to really find that helpful. Absolutely. Thanks very much, guys. Continued success. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. Take care. Parenting topic time. So we're going to take a little detour. Last week, we announced we were going to cover working from home during the pandemic in this episode. But you know what? There was an election this week, and we thought maybe we should talk a little bit about talking to your kids about elections, politics. Certainly, we're not going to talk who voted for who, but just generally uh, what did election week or election day or the days that followed look like in your house? So this is the first presidential election that my son got to vote in. And he was very excited about that. And he came home for dinner uh, before the election. And we had the ballot here at home and we had the voters pamphlet, the, the voters guide. And he asked for that. And he spent probably 45 minutes looking at each race each um, referendum, everything, reading the candidate statements, talking to us about the candidate statements, and really paying attention to what was going on. And that was, we thought, just fantastic. And he, he really was proud that this was the first time that he got to vote in a presidential election. And our daughter, who lives in Seattle, but is still, her permanent address is still here in Whatcom County, she was texting me asking about local um, elections, local races, and local things on the ballot, and wanting to my opinion on um, what it was all about because she wanted to make an informed decision on voting for those uh, for those things from afar. And I thought, you know, that's we're pretty lucky that you know we get two kids who do care about this and uh, and and take it very seriously and want to be part of that process. So that was really a, a good a good thing for us to see and to experience and, and, you know, of course, created many, many 
deep and, and pretty uh, uh, substantial conversations. Yeah, it's funny. Um, our kids are obviously a little younger than yours, Mark, or quite a bit younger still. <clears throat> and I tried to put the voter pamphlet in front of my kids as Amy and I are reading through it. And um, th yeah, they lasted like 10 seconds and they left. They had no interest in reading the voter pamphlet. But while we were watching the election results come in, um, I was trying to explain the electoral process and what an electoral vote actually was and how different states get different electoral votes. And so um, I printed out a map of the United States. I asked my youngest daughter to grab a red and blue uh, pen, and we started coloring in the map of as, as different states were given different awards. And then she had a black Sharpie and wrote down how many electoral votes each state was worth. Um, and it's funny, as any dad knows, you try a hundred different things and most of them don't work as a parent. You think it's going to work and then it just kind of crashes and burns, kind of like when I tried to get the voter pamphlets in front of the kids. But this one actually was really awesome. The kids were super excited. Whenever they would announce a state, they grab a pen and they'd color it the right color. And that's, uh, that's what we ended up doing to keep the kids engaged, which was really fun. So I took an opportunity to look at a few resources for parents on how to talk to their kids about voting in elections. And one thing I saw was that there was a survey done by care.com and 90% of parents thought that their kids were too young to understand an election. I think at any age, probably toddler and above, they're going to notice something, whether it's a yard sign or a TV ad, or yeah. just hear somebody on the playground talking about politics or an election. Yeah. So you guys have any tips on how you could talk to your kids, even at a young age, about what's going on and sort of use the election process as an opportunity for you to sort of reinforce your family's values, teach them a little bit about critical thinking, and maybe what it really means to be uh, a leader in this country. One thing that happened in our house was um, every January, my wife always made sure that we watched the State of the Union and set the kids down just to make sure they understood who the president was, uh, where the president was speaking from, that, that chamber uh, in Washington, D.C. And what really, I think, drove it home for our family was when we took a trip to Washington, D.C., and we actually got to go to the White House and go to the Capitol and see where a lot of this happened, and just reinforcing that um, it's a real place, they're real people, and they... Um, are elected to to serve the, us as, as, as the people. And so it was just really trying to make politics real. And we never wanted to um, insert our beliefs into them. We wanted them to make up their own mind, but just making it present and making it a comfortable, making our house a comfortable place to talk about politics and, and different uh, perspectives was, I think, key to how we made it work. Yeah, you know, during such a divisive time um, during this election, um, uh, what we found is, is that we, we needed to have conversations with our kids that it's that not everybody is going to want the same candidate that we want. And if somebody doesn't want the same candidate as us, that doesn't mean that they're a bad person. They can be a good person. And we were on a walk uh, in our neighborhood and um, somebody had a sign for a governor that was, uh, that was running. And it was different than somebody that we had wanted that Amy and I had openly talked about in our household. And uh, we know that neighbor and the girls all of a sudden kind of had this different opinion on who this neighbor was. And we had to sit down and have a conversation that just because somebody doesn't want to vote for, for somebody who's the same as the person we want to vote for, uh, that's okay. That's okay too.
As I often do, I looked at a couple articles, and uh, one was from Good Housekeeping, and one was from Common Sense Media, and I'll link to those in our show notes. But they said that it's important to encourage your kids to accept and respect other people who are different from them. And the way you do that is you model that behavior. So if they hear you bad-mouthing, then they're going to do that. And so, uh, again, it's an opportunity for you to start to instill your values in using this as a way to show respect for people of differing views and who have different opinions. And, and even on the most basic level, it's about learning how to be a good winner, but also learning how to be a good loser. And uh, that's something that any age, child or adult, um, should always keep in front of mind, I think. So I, uh, it, it, was, it was summed up fairly well for me, and I think we talked about this last uh, week on the pod that I'm from Los Angeles and the Dodgers won the World Series, and it was a time of celebration for my dad and myself and my whole family. I called my dad a couple of days before the election, and I said, so dad, have you voted? And he's going to be 90 in January. Dad, have you voted? He said, yep. I said, uh, who'd you vote for? He said, the guy that's going to win. I said, that's great, because that's who I voted for as well. <laughs> Perfect. And then, and then the two days after the election, we talked again, and I we were talking about what went on, and he said, "You know what, something, Mark? The presidential election doesn't really matter. You know why? Because the Dodgers won the World Series." <laughs> I said, "Thanks, Dad, for kind of putting it in perspective for all of us." What do you think about when your kids grow up and they might have differing views than you have? Is that something that's crossed your mind? And if so, have you tried to? free them up to make those choices on their own? Yeah, it was it was pretty fascinating. When we were in the quarantine and we had the whole family living here again, some of uh, the heated conversations around the dinner table, these two little humans that my wife and I raised were now <laughs> these very intelligent adults with very strong opinions about what was happening in our country. And it was really fascinating to hear how they had formed their opinions and the research they had done and the people they had talked to. And not that their views were wildly different than ours, but they were much more nuanced and probably um, much more developed than mine were. And that was, that was really gratifying and satisfying to see and really um, added to some pretty, uh, pretty dynamic conversations at our, at our home. And that was, that was, that was quite great. You know, and in terms of it being different than us, I don't think that really matters um, to my wife and I. It's really more that they are engaged and want to be part of that process. One other thing that was in these resources talked about um, ways that you could get, say, a middle schooler, Chris, involved in the process. And so they talked about things like teaching your kids how to fact check something they might hear or see in an advertisement or in a debate or to watch the debate with them and point out to them when the candidates don't answer a question or sort of evade a topic or right. talk in a circle about something. Did you have a chance to watch any of the debates with your kids, Chris? We did. And it's interesting, you know, Mark, you were talking about how nuanced the, the, um, the arguments your kids had or the, the viewpoints that they had. And I think our kids are still young enough. I'd, Lexi's are starting to form for sure. But, um, you know, as kids, their view is, I think, sometimes a, still a little bit more simple, which is also equally as important. So is it fair? Is it right? Is it okay? Um, 
And so what's funny is, is one of the debates, right, you know, they were interrupting one another. And that was one of the first things they noticed was, who does that? Let the other person talk so we can hear. And so it was really funny to see that and then have that conversation about, well, do you really want to act like that? And, um, and to what you said earlier, you know, kids are going to see what adults are doing. Um, and I think that uh, uh, as voters in general, and I think as kids, uh, they sort of parrot what they see our leaders doing. And uh, we saw that on TV there. And I think that, you know, you, you look at uh, what some could construe as bullying and we talk a lot about that as parents and with kids growing up and in the schools and wherever. Mm-hmm. And, and you, I personally you know, worry about, and Chris, kind of what you said about the interruption and just the, the perception of not being kind to other people yeah. and not listening to what other people say. And, uh, and I think it's a great opportunity for parents to take a, take a pause, take a stop and say, let's talk a little bit about that behavior and what you just saw and why that is or isn't the way we want you as our children to be and to act. Yeah. Again, framing it as a discussion about your values through the lens of the election and politics. Right. I listened to a podcast that featured Laura Markham, who's a psychologist and professor at Columbia university. And she's the author of peaceful, peaceful parent, happy kids. And she was talking about one of the unintended consequences of an election is that it causes anxiety in kids because they yeah. see the parents stressed about what's going on. And we need to project confidence to our kids that this is going to turn out okay. The adults have a handle on this and you don't need to stress about it. But I know that people make comments like, if so-and-so candidate wins, I move into Canada. Well, if you're five and you hear that, you start to stress about losing your friends and your school. And so just making sure that we project to our kids that this is not something that they need to get anxious about. That's so good that you said that. That's uh, very, very true. There was a lot of anxiety with our kids in this election this year. And we had to tell them exactly that, that no matter who wins, our country is going to be okay. I'm going to close this out with some book recommendations. Uh, We've got vote by Eileen Chryslow. Uh, Duck for President by Doreen Cronin, and Bad Kitty for President by Nick Brule. <laughs> I'll link those in the show notes. They, they're geared mostly towards younger kids, but if you're just looking for a way to kick off the discussion with your kids, these are some ways that you could start the discussion. And again, this will ramp up in two years and then in four years again. But I think the takeaway from this is use politics and the election as a way to reinforce your own family values, to teach your kids about critical thinking, analyzing the message they're getting, and then talk to them about really how the process works and what it is that you're looking for as a leader. What's keeping you from performing at your prime? The Prime Sports Institute in Bellingham exists to help you perform better, stay in your prime longer, and have more fun doing it. The Prime Sports Institute is the first athletic trainer-owned and operated clinic in the country. Experience the treatment the elite and pro athletes are used to. Call today at phone number 360-922-3120 to schedule an appointment, or for more information, visit their website at primebellingham.com. Welcome, Dads. Recommend... 
I know we typically are recommending things for you to do with your kids, but we're going to do one for the dads and we're going to do whiskeys. And so in this age of the pandemic and social distancing, we are doing our podcast via Zoom, but we're going to do a live whiskey tasting here on the podcast. We were a bit limited as we got airplane bottles. We each have three of the same whiskeys here. So Chris, go ahead and tell us the three that we're going to be trying here on air. All right, three whiskeys. We've got ourselves a delicious Irish whiskey and the well-known Jameson. We've got uh, the Gentleman Jack, not just plain old Jack Daniels, but we've got the Gentleman Jack and then uh, Pendleton blended Canadian whiskey. So, um, yeah, three different kinds of whiskeys here. It's fantastic. Irish, Canadian, and American. And uh, Thanksgiving is quickly approaching, and so maybe we can help some of you choose something to have Thanksgiving night to help you digest all that turkey. (laughs) So these are all pretty similarly priced. Uh, I think probably in the $30-ish range for a... For a bottle of each of these and so uh we're all gonna go ahead first and taste the uh the jameson here cheers you guys ching ching cheers i gotta say of the three this one um just on the smell test and, and you know i'm not one of those guys that can you know taste all the you know you hear about i love reading the backs of wine bottles and it's like who writes this stuff because i can't taste any of that so I noticed, though, that Jameson had the least um, uh, aroma of the three. I agree. Yeah. I was actually wondering if I could even smell it almost. This kind of reminds me of college whiskey. I didn't have a refined palate, but this might have been something that uh, was easily accessible. This is easy to drink. I'm wondering, are you guys, uh, are you neat guys or on the rocks? I'm like a solo rock, one rock. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I'm an ice guy too. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree. But yeah, the the Jameson, uh, not highly recommending. Let's move along to the next one. Again, virtually you folks at home can't see, but the three of us now are holding the Pendleton. So we've gone from Irish to Canadian, and we're going to give this a a taste. So, and, and I'm going to be honest, this is the first time I've ever actually tried to decipher the difference between Irish whiskey and Canadian whiskey. And this is fun. I like this Canadian whiskey better. Yeah, I do too. You can definitely, you can definitely, it's got a little, a uh, little kick to it. Yeah. And it's got a, l- a lot more flavor to it. I agree. More refined. Uh, it might be a difference between an Irishman and a Canadian. The Canadian's not going to be as abrasive, I think, as the Irishman. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm feeling here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I need to tell a quick little story about Pendleton. Um, this is bringing back, actually not really bringing, uh, yeah, it's bringing back memories. Um, so I am from the big city. I married a woman who's from a very, very, very small farming community in Eastern Washington. And her father's favorite whiskey is Pendleton. We came up uh, for our wedding reception in Washington and uh, it was at the local Grange, and we had people, you know, bring food, blah, 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 the whole thing. Well, every once in a while, her dad would disappear with about four or five or six guys, and they'd go outside. And I finally said to my wife, what is your dad doing? And she said, oh, he's taking the guys out to the truck for a little nip of Pendleton. I'm like, well, when am I going to get invited? And she said, oh, well, let's kind of wait and see how the night plays out. Well, needless to say, I was never invited out to the truck. 
for for a nip of the Pendleton from the flask in my brand new father-in-law's truck. So drinking the Pendleton today is a little bittersweet. Well, you know, we can drink Pendleton with you anytime. You will always be invited, invited to have a nip of Pendleton with us. I appreciate that. But uh, a little word of advice to our uh, listeners out there. Uh, If you are taking your boys out for a drink from your truck uh, during the wedding reception, maybe invite your new son-in-law to join you. (laughs) And also, public service announcement. uh, Don't drink and drive and drink only if you're over 21, listeners. That's right. One left. Here we go. Gentleman Jack from the United States of America distillery in Lynchburg, Tennessee. It kind of smells uh, almost brown sugary a little bit. Mm, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this is my older brother's favorite, uh, favorite whiskey, Jack, period. Jack and Coke, Jack and Diet. It's, and I just... I, I, I'll drink it if it's the only thing that's available, but I just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a harshness that is not good. Chris, I was going to use the word harsh. It's, (laughs) it tastes very, very harsh. I'm not a, I'm not a huge, not a huge Jack fan. Um, No wonder why everybody cuts it with (laughs) Coca-Cola. I'm going to rank this one second. I still like it better than the Jameson. But I think you need to really cut this and this is, it just... It's got an edge to it. You got to cut it. It's not. It's not great. No, it tastes like one of those Skittles made its way into this uh, into this bourbon <laughs> zombie whiskey. <laughs> so, some of our listeners may be more refined with whiskey than we are. We always look for suggestions. Feel free to email the show. Uh, but we started out with some basic ones. I think in the future we can maybe revisit this with some maybe more exotic or refined or more expensive whiskeys. But for our first go round, it appears that we all three agreed that the Pendleton was our favorite. Is that right? I agree. Even though it brought back some pretty nasty memories. Yes, it was great. But I do have to tell you though, uh, uh, I have a good friend who has a poker group and he had a, a, a number of us over one night and he happened to have a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue uh, on his shelf. And he was kind enough to open that bottle and shared it with the poker group. And we drank every last drop. And to this day, I am very grateful to my good friend, Chris Roselli, for uh, introducing me to what I think is by far the finest, finest whiskey I've ever tasted in my life. That was a fun night. How awkward would it have been if I hadn't been there? But I was. <laughs> and yes, I second that. Now at Costco, I always take a peek at what it costs and I keep walking. But if I remember correctly, Chris, you got that as a gift. I did get it as a gift. It was, uh, it was a very nice, generous gift uh, provided to me by my own father. So cheers to you, Pop. And I got and, and to say that um, I did buy a bottle at a duty-free when I was traveling one time and I still have it unopened in my cupboard and I'm saving it for a special occasion and knowing me that special occasion could be my own funeral. So I invite the two of you to really enjoy it and to remind Annette that it's in the cupboard and make sure that it gets opened. We will take your, we'll take your family out to the truck and we'll all take a nip from it. Well, here's what you do. You bring it out at an event where your father-in-law is there and you don't let him have any. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Revenge is best served 
with a cube of ice. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can email the show at welcomedadspodcast at gmail.com. The dads would love to hear your feedback and any suggestions you have. The podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Next week, the dads will discuss working from home during the pandemic, recommend spots for a one-on-one dad date with your kid, and interview travel consultant Sabrina Tinius about family vacations. What did the science book say to the math book? Wow, you've got problems. Have you heard about the new pirate movie? It's rated R. And do you know why? Because of all the booty. There's an italicized portion and there's an M with a colon. I didn't get that. Oh, no, I don't have that either. Did did I not send it to you? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.